Shalom, and welcome to Via Hafta Yisrael, a Hebrew phrase which means you shall love Israel. We hope you'll stay with us for the next 30 minutes as our teacher, Dr. Baruch, shares his expository teaching from the Bible. Dr. Baruch is the senior lecturer at the Zera Avraham Institute based in Israel. Although all courses are taught in Hebrew at the Institute, Dr. Baruch is pleased to share this weekly address in English. To find out more about our work in Israel, please visit us on the web at loveisrael.org. That's one word, loveisrael.org. Now, here's Baruch with today's lesson. Each of us were created by God. There are no second-class creations. God loves each of us, and He wants us to be a recipient of His love. Now, when we look at the Scripture, we see something. God does not evaluate us by looking at the external, meaning how we look in a mirror, how people see us. But the Bible is very clear. It says that God looks to the inner person, to the heart. Why? Because a heart is synonymous with the very essence of a person. How we think, and we know, how one thinks is going to dictate how they believe. We need to be an individual that through the redemption of Messiah, that our mind is changed, that we have the mind of Messiah, and when we do, and we don't rebel, we are going to do the works of Messiah. And those external things are indeed important, but it's the inner condition that dictates that. Well, take out your Bible and look with me to the book of Romans in chapter 2. The book of Romans in chapter 2. Paul is speaking here and he's going to make a, a dichotomy, a distinction between Jew and Gentile. And what he's saying is, it's really a heart condition. If someone has a circumcised heart that comes through faith, that person is going to walk in obedience. If that person, whether Jew or Gentile, has not experienced redemption, there has not been a change in their heart, then their behavior is not going to reflect the will of God. They're not going to be changed by the love of God. They're not going to be manifesting those things that are pleasing to God. Now, really, it comes down to this. Do you want to be a person who pleases God? If you've experienced God's love, understood the grace that was given to you by Messiah, and how that grace was offered, what he had to do, in order that grace would be extended. When he laid down his life, being mocked, spat upon, being flogged, beaten, and then ultimately crucified, dead, and buried. But because of the righteousness of the Son and the perfection of his sacrifice, we see that the Scripture says that God raised him on that third day, on the first day of the week, and we see because of that victory. And what we're really talking about in tonight's message is this, that God wants us to live a victorious life. So look to, with me, as I said, to the book of Romans chapter 2, and we're going to begin in verse 17. He begins by saying, if you are called 
a Jew. So we see here, and this is going to be true throughout, there is an assumption that one who is Jewish is going to understand and have an affinity towards the Torah. We talked about the Torah extensively last week, and we see Paul continues. So he says, if you are called a Jew and you rely, you trust, you depend upon the law and you boast in God, meaning you praise him, you acknowledge that God, he is great and worthy to be praised. Secondly, look now to verse 18, and you know the will. Now, what the scripture is doing, and, and many commentators ignore this, but we see something very significant. We see two things together, and what is that? Well, as he mentioned in our first verse of study, verse 17, there was an emphasis in the law. And then in the next verse, verse 18, we see that the will of God is mentioned. And we find that it is through the law, meaning scripture, the word of God, that we understand the will of God. So it's only when I am submitting to the word of God am I going to be following the will of God. A very simple but very profound truth we learn in this verse. So he says, and you know the will, and you document, that's literally what that word is in Greek, you prove, you prove what? The excellent things. Now, this just tells us that God, through his will, wants us to live in an excellent way, in a way that manifests the kingdom. Let me share with you again something that, that many people don't know. There is a very well-known word, it's the word, in English we say Zion, in Hebrew and many other languages, Zion. Now, that word Zion, Zion, if we take that same root and we, we alter some of the grammatical characteristics of, of Hebrew grammar, uh, grammar, we're going to learn something. That same word turns into the word Mitsuyan, which means excellence that which is excellent before God. And that's what God wants us to do. Now, furthermore, hear this carefully. There's an inherent relationship between Zion, Zion, and the kingdom. So when I am living in a way that's excellent, and that's what he's talking about, I am going to be expressing that which belongs to the kingdom of God. And we see that the Torah tells us, instructs us, how we live in order to do just that, that we document these excellent things. And one who, speaking about the same individual, who has been educated, taught from the law. Verse 19. Now, if this is describing one, and here in this context, it's a Jewish individual. It says, if this one, you have been persuaded by yourself that you are a guide for the blind, a light to the ones in darkness. So it speaks here about individuals that have known the truth, they are, are walking according to the truth, and they are, are helping, impacting, influencing others in order that they might have that same, same testimony, that same behavior. 
Now verse, verse 20. It says here that you are also, you might say, an instructor of foolish ones and a teacher of infants. That means someone who is young uh, in the faith or perhaps simply someone who is immature in, in knowing the word of God and the expectations. So it tells us about one who knows things and he's willing to take those individuals that may not have any background in the law, in the word of God, in the commandments of God. And he is a, a guide for the foolish ones and the, the infants having, notice what it says, having the appearance and knowledge of what? The truth which is in the law. Now, another important thing that Paul does, and remember, this isn't Moses speaking, but rather it is the Apostle Paul after that Damascus Road experience. And what has he done? He has linked, and don't miss this, it's vital. If we're going to have a proper perspective for this book, the New Covenant, and also the book that we're studying individually, the book of Romans. So what we see here is that there's a linking by Paul, and it's not a matter of debate. It's not an opinion. We see this in the scripture. There's a linking between knowing the truth, which is what? In the law. The law is truth. And as we said last week, it's when I submit to the leadership of the Holy Spirit, then and only then, under his anointing, can I behave, I can behave in a way that's going to manifest the righteousness. That is the righteous standards of the law. So all of this is what Paul is speaking about here. Now look to verse 21. Therefore, it says, those who teach, the one who is teaching another, a good thing to do. But if you're teaching someone else, it says yourself you do not teach so it's not something that you just good at for someone else that you tell them what to do you tell them what this book means you tell them to apply it to your to their life but also you are supposed to be teaching yourself meaning this what you learn you're supposed to apply to your life so it's not simply putting yourself in a position over others, wanting to influence others and telling them what to do, but you yourself, you acknowledge the truth of God and you want to implement it in your own life. He says, look at the middle of verse 21, the one who proclaims, do not still, do you still? The same things that you teach, you need to be doing yourself. Otherwise, as we talked about last week, you become a judge and a hypocrite. And in doing that, that judgment that you are giving others is going to come back upon you. These things that you are telling others in a judgmental way, it is going to lead, as Paul said last week, it is going to lead to one's condemnation. So we don't want condemnation. We don't want to judge others. We want to see people being lifted up in the truth of God, in the ways of God, walking in the authority of Scripture, demonstrating that the anointing of the Holy Spirit is leading you and empowering you and instructing you for these excellent things. And remember, these excellent things are things 
that relate to the kingdom of God. The kingdom, a place of excellency. And we want to demonstrate kingdom excellency now in this age. So he also says, look now to verse 22. The one who says, do not commit adultery. He asks the question, are you committing adultery? And the one who loathes or abhors uh, idols. Now that's a good thing. But he says after this, you who have loathing and, and, and abhor idols. He says, are you uh, basically stealing from these temples? Now, why does someone get involved in idolatry? They are selfish and usually they're doing it because they believe that these idolatrous practices are going to benefit them in some way. They're willing to pay money to individuals. They're willing to buy these statues and such. That, that can't speak, that doesn't see, that does not hear, no power whatsoever. But they believe if they, they bow down, they do religious things to these statues, that what? That is going to benefit them. So someone is saying, you know, these, this idolatry, I abhor it. It is loathsome to me. I don't like anything about it. But then what do these people do? They go in, they steal from the temples in order to sell the idols to benefit. They're no better. That's what Paul is saying. If you are going to use idolatry for any purpose, if it's to get rich, to have some type of financial blessing to you, you are no better than someone who is engaging in idolatry themselves. So don't steal the idols. Verse 23. Whoever in the law boasts through, through transgression. So here's someone who's boasting in the law, but through the transgression of the law. So they boast in it. They say how good it is, and it is. How wonderful, how necessary it is to, to obey God, to do his will, to be rich in good works. Yes, we should have a life that is full of the fruit of God, the fruit of the Spirit, doing good things. But he says here, whoever in the law should boast. And through transgressions of the law, what does this one do? He dishonors God. So we need to be asking ourselves, am I speaking very religiously? Am I using all that right uh, lingo and jargon? But when it comes to behavior, I'm transgressing the word of God. I am not walking in obedience. I'm not putting into practice what the scripture says, but rather I'm transgressing. And as he says here, one who does that dishonors God. Verse 24, for the name of God, someone who behaves that way, therefore the outcome is the name of God through you is blasphemed. Where? Among the nations. Now, I would highlight that because there's something important with that. This underscores, remember how it begins, you who are Jewish. We need to remember something. The Jewish community, God has, has set apart for a purpose. And what is that purpose? You all know this. It's to be a light to the nations. 
That is to be an influencer from, from God, being one who receives the truth of God and takes that truth and shares it with others. That's what being a light to the nations is all about. And we see, going back to the Abrahamic covenant, Avraham being the first Jew and the nation that came from him, the Jewish people, we see that they were supposed to be ones who bless the nations, bless them with truth so that they could live and behave in a way that brought about the promises of God that they would receive those excellent things, things that are related to kingdom blessings even now in this world. This was the testimony that God had for Israel. So he says, when you transgress the law, not only do you, you, you dishonor God, but you blaspheme him among the nations, just as it's written. Now we move on to verse 25. Now, this is when this, this dichotomy, this distinction is going to be introduced in this last part of chapter 2. And he's going to reveal to us, it's not about how you were created, whether you were called and created as a Jew or whether you're called and created as a Gentile. This is not what, what excites God. This is not what is, he is interested in. Notice what it says here. Look carefully at our text, verse, verse 25. He says here, for, and the implication is, in, in one hand, circumcision profits. Now, why is that? Because circumcision has a message. He is not saying the actual act, that physical act of cutting, removing, has a benefit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying circumcision has a benefit. Why? It, it proclaims a message. And what is that message? Well, when you remove the orla, that is the, the foreskin, that skin dies. And the teaching is this. According to Jewish law, that piece of skin must be buried, not just thrown away, you know, disposed of, but there's an absolute requirement, according to Jewish law, that it be buried. Why? Because this teaches us the message of circumcision. Circumcision is the death of the flesh. You are circumcised, that flesh dies, therefore it must be buried. Now, now who was the first one circumcised? Obviously, Avraham. And what is standing out, we'll see this in the weeks to come, Avraham was a man of faith. Now, here's the message. It is not the works of the law that bring about the death of the flesh. It is not Torah obedience that brings death to that carnal nature. But what does? Well, we see that displayed by Abraham. What is taught concerning him? Abraham was circumcised. Not because of the law. The law didn't exist until 400 years later. Avraham was circumcised because he had faith. And here's the message. By faith, when we walk in faith, we put to death the flesh. And that's why it says here, look again at our text, verse 25. For circumcision profits if the law 
one practices. But if, now on the other hand, if you're not obeying the law, walking in the will of God, it says here, if you are a transgressor of the law, if this is the case, then, then what good is that circumcision? You're not giving the message of, of circumcision, which is the flesh dies according to faith because you're not walking in faith. Then he says, middle of verse 25, your circumcision becomes uncircumcision. Now, here's what's so important. This word for becoming is the Greek word gegonin. Why is that important? Because it's in the perfect tense. And this is what he's saying. If you in the past are not walking in obedience, then you may be outwardly circumcised, but that outward circumcision is going to be, be not of anything that's beneficial. It's not going to convey the truth. But what is it? Well, he says it's reckoned as uncircumcision. And that's true in the past, even though you had it, if you weren't displaying the, the will of God, you become a stumbling block. You become an offense. You become a person that brings dishonor upon God. That's what he's saying here when he says, your, your circumcision is going to be understood, becomes, and this means in the past, now, and ongoing, if there's no repentance, no change, it is going to be, accounted for uncircumcision but now verse 26 therefore if and now he's talking about not the jew who has been circumcised but the gentile and he says therefore if the uncircumcised one in the righteous things so he may be uncircumcised but what is he doing in the righteous things of the law he keeps. So even though he is uncircumcised, he is a Gentile, but he is doing something. He is walking in the righteous ways of the law. This is what Paul's going to talk about in a few months. When we get into chapter 8, I mentioned last week when it speaks about those who walk not in the flesh, but rather in the spirit they are demonstrating they're doing the righteous requirements of the law by means of who the spirit of god so once again he says this one who is uncircumcised but the righteous things of the law he keeps he says his uncircumcision is it not reckoned for circumcised so even though he's uncircumcised, his righteous behavior, his actions that are in line with the truth of God, even though outwardly he is uncircumcised, God sees him as circumcised, and it's more than that. Look now at verse 26, for verse 27. The one who is, and he uses that same word for being naturally uncircumcised, in the flesh, in the natural, he's uncircumcised. But this one who is, and it talks here about in a complete way, he is obeying. He is doing, in a general sense, 
he is doing the law. And therefore, this one who's uncircumcised, but he is walking in the law, it says, he will judge, judge who? It says, judge you, the one that through the letters, meaning you have documentation that you're a child of God because you're Jewish and you have been circumcised. So you have the letters and the circumcision attesting to, to the fact that, that you're Jewish. But what are you? You're going to be judged by him because you are a transgressor of the law. Now he's going to say something really important in a moment. And that is we need to understand ultimately why the people that came from Avraham were called Jews. Because this term, Yehuda, I mentioned earlier, it is a word that speaks of giving thanks specifically to God, one that throws him praise, adoration, that wants to lift up God's name. And the problem is this, just because someone is biologically Jewish, if he's not doing what God calls his people to do, he's really not part of God's family. Because God looks not to the outward that he has a physical proof through circumcision and some documentation, some lineage that he's Jewish. That doesn't impress God. Nothing wrong with that, but it doesn't impress God. Why? God does not focus on the outer things. So we're told here, look at the next verse, verse 28. He says, for it's not that which is manifested. And here's manifest. It literally means in this context, external. So it's not that which is manifested, which is external that, that makes one a Jew, nor in the outward, that same word, what's being manifested, what is external in the flesh. And then he speaks circumcision. So just because someone is outwardly circumcised, we need to remember something. What did that circumcision supposed to speak to? Remember Avraham. It says in Genesis 15, verse 6, a key passage that Paul's going to focus in on extensively in the future in this same epistle to the Romans. It says that Abraham believed in God and that faith, he had faith, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. So it's not simply the fact that someone is circumcised. He says it's not the external, the circumcision. Now look at our last verse. But he says, and it's the hidden, meaning you can't see it with your eyes, the inward thing that makes one a Jewish person. The circumcision of, and notice this, the circumcision of the heart in the spirit, not, not the letter. Okay. Who prays someone who does that? He's not trying to impress man, but this one who has a circumcised heart, not the outward, but the inward. It says, whose praise is not from man, but from God. And my final question to you is this, is that what you want? Are you seeking the praise of God or are you trying to impress men? The answer to that question tells a lot about your spiritual condition. Shalom. Well, we hope you will benefit from today's message and share it with others. 
Please plan to join us each week at this time and on this channel for our broadcast of loveisrael.org. Again, to find out more about us, please visit our website, loveisrael.org. There you will find articles and numerous other lectures by Baruch. These teachings are in video form. You may download them or watch them in streaming video. Until next week, may the Lord bless you in our Messiah Yeshua, that is, Jesus, as you walk with Him. Shalom from Israel.